0: If you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to Acts chapter 2, the book of Acts. We are are in the midst of a three-part series on just church. These are the three foundational pillar ideas that, that we see as what makes up what we call the church the people of God joined together. And so last week, Pastor Mark opened us up and we looked at the idea that one of the foundational characteristics is that of service. And so that we as people, as part of a church need to be involved in service, serving each other in a way that God has gifted us, that God has called us, that God has created and formed within us. And so we looked at how that that works in the church and how God has asked us to not just sit back and be good at what we do in our own little world, but to take who God has created us to be, gifted us to be, take all of our experiences and our expressions and add that together with the the gift that the Holy Spirit gives us as we understand it from the New Testament and use that as an act of service in the church where God has placed us. And when we do that, we are acting as the church. That's one of the core foundations of New Testament church. Um, next week, we're going to have a guest speaker. Reverend Steve Volstad will be with us. He's our missionary to Russia, and uh, he's coming in for our district conference that we're holding at the end of the month. We're hosting this for about 300 pastors, and Steve's coming in to speak at that event as well. So while he's here, we're going to go ahead and use him next Sunday, and he's going to speak about the the power of, of missions as part of the foundation of the church. So today, this is the second part of this series, and we're going to talk about this idea of community. And we or we we open this this message today and this we we present it to you today in the same day that we launch the opening signups of our life groups In the hallway and in our foyer. It's no accident that we've, we've coordinated this. We wanted to draw attention to the small group, small group home Bible study ministry that our church is developing and, and relaunching and pull it together on the same day that we preach about the foundation of community inside the New Testament church that we are a part of and that we model ourselves after. So more specifically, what we want to look at this morning is how the church as a group of called out people and called together people function and live in community together. You know, every so often we as leaders need to stop and we need to be reminding our people that the church, the church is not a building. The church is not four walls and a roof. The church is not a freshly paved parking lot with new stripes put down, although that's wonderful that we have. But that's not the church. And in our everyday language and in our everyday conversations, it's quite natural for us to say, you know, I'm going to church today. And in our mind and in our picture, in our head, we have this image of a building. But this building is not the church. The people are the church. That was always God's design. God's design is that the people are what comprise the church. In the New Testament, the word is called ekklesia. It means to a group of called out people who gather together for the same purpose, for the same reason. And actually in the New Testament, it's not even a religious word in their day and age. The word was actually kind of a civic term that, that was used when people would go out and gather to vote in groups. Ecclesia, a group of called out people, called together for one purpose, for one cause, for one common goal. This is the image of the church. We as the church are not... A building. We as a church are not isolated to a location, but we are a group of people called out and assembled together for a common purpose and a common goal. This is one of the dominant characteristics of the church. We as called out people exercise and experience a sense of togetherness. That's what this whole idea of of community brings to the church. This idea of togetherness, that we are in this together. We are called out together. We have assembled together for a common purpose. Let me illustrate that in in this way. It's a lighthearted illustration. Um, Later today, something is going to happen that many of you will turn on your televisions and be a part of. The NFL season kicks off its Sunday programming. And all around the country, all around the country will be ecclesias groups of people called out and gathering together for a common purpose and a common goal. In fact, I heard that in our community, there's one neighborhood that we have friends that live in that tonight, that in their neighborhood, the first Sunday night of the season, what they do is people open their garage doors, wheel their televisions out into the street, into the cul-de-sac, plug it in, and like 14, 15 families all gather together for the purpose and the commonality of watching the game together. They're gathering in their homes, they're gathering in the streets together to partake of this event. Now, I'm particularly interested in this season because I am a Steeler fan and we begin to avenge our loss last Super Bowl. I'm a bit tired of the green and yellow talk that's been happening up here. And so we are bringing back some black and gold discussion today. You see, I am part of what we would call the Steeler Nation. We are an ecclesia. We are called out ones who have gathered together, bonded together for a common purpose. We are the Steeler Nation. Now, I'll grant you, some of us are quite odd. Not all of us, but some of us are odd. The Steeler Nation can have a reputation from town to town. Some people paint their faces and do wild antics, but most of us are just Devoted fans of the team, we wave our towel, we clean off the television with it, and we set it up. We are odd, and that's okay. The other day, as we were, as I was watching, actually, the season, as you know, probably started Thursday night with that green and yellow team playing. And as I watched that game, I had enough of it, and so I just I put on my Facebook just the simple phrase six. Enough said. It's how many Super Bowls the Steelers have won. A friend of mine, a friend of mine from high school who's a Browns fan. Now, I'm going to give the Browns some props today, so we better have this on tape, okay? A friend of mine who's a Browns fan replied in my Facebook, 13. It doesn't matter what you call them, 13 is still bigger than 6. Granted, I'll give you that. We are an odd bunch. But there is something to the Steeler Nation and with every fan base. There's something, there's a mystique about it. There's something about being called out together as a group of fans. We were in uh, uh, Orlando, we were at Disney, and um, I I just threw clothes in the bag and one of the t-shirts I threw in was a Steelers t-shirt. So I was wearing it one day down at Disney and we're, we're walking around. I'm looking for the teacups and It's a Small World and everything. Minding my own business with my family, right? And every time, this was constant. My wife was there, right? All day this was happening. People would walk by just like, hey, Steelers. Yeah, all right. Random people in the park. And I'm like, I don't even, hi, hi, good, right? I don't even know who you are. But it drew attention. And there was something about the, catch this. There's something about the community that draws us together. That makes us interact with each other, even though we don't quite know each other. There's a draw, there. We were my wife and I last last comment on this. My wife and I were at this was about nine years ago. She was eight months pregnant with our son, and um, we had tickets to a Monday night game. And we were nine rows from the field in the end zone. Great seats. Couldn't pass them up. She was going whether she wanted to or not. Pregnant. No. Nope. Throw a blanket on, we're going, all right? So we go to the game, and, and we score a touchdown. Listen, we, like I'm on the team, right? That, that's part of the nation, though. We scored a touchdown. And everybody's celebrating, the stadium's hopping and jumping. And this guy, two seats down from my wife, I'm not even lying, two seats down from my wife, reaches across his buddy and rubs my wife's stomach <laughs> as the team is celebrating. My wife turns to me, horrified at what is going on. I look at her and I say, hey, we're all family. It's all good. True story. She was pregnant with Sam. Sam is a fan of football and the Steelers. Go figure. But you see, there's a sense of, doesn't matter who you root for, there's a sense of togetherness. There's a sense of commonality. There's a sense that we're in this together. You know what? We were, we were designed to live life in community. We weren't designed to live alone. None of us. None of us were designed to experience and live life alone. Whether it's in tragedy or great need, as we reflected upon this morning, or whether it's in times of joy and celebration, we desire to live In community, there's something about us that we need to make a phone call, make sure everybody's okay. We need to get together with our friends and and, and have a good time uh, watching a game or, or, or having a birthday party or whatever. We desire community. We desire to live together. We were created from community for community. God in Trinity The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together as the triune God, God in Trinity, Genesis 1, created. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit created all that is and all that was and all that will be. God in community with Himself created. And He created us in His image, which means we were created for community. We were created to be connected. We're not called out as a church so that we can worship and that we can live alone. We are not called out so that we can serve alone. God's design of the church was never for it to be a collection of individuals or islands unto themselves. The church was always about community. The church functions at its best in community. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, look there now, if you will, with me. Luke is writing a careful historical account of all that has happened. And relaying this to, uh, in, his, in Luke's gospel to a man named Theophilus, and also referenced in Acts to Theophilus. It's debated on whether that's an actual person or it's a metaphor for God's people. But he writes this to to show a careful and detailed account of what took place. And when he gets to Acts, in the book of Acts, there are three or four, maybe five sections in the book of Acts where, where, where Luke writes in narrative form a transition statement. Or a number of sentences that help us transition from what just took place that Luke described to what is about to take place that Luke is going to write about. He writes a transition piece. Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47. Is this such transition piece? What you have in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 up to verse 41 is an account of what has happened, that Jesus has appeared to his disciples and was ascend- has ascended into heaven. Following that, the Holy Spirit came upon about 120 believers who were gathered in Jerusalem at that time. And as the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began to speak in foreign languages. Your Bible may say tongues, but the concept here is that that tongue is a foreign language, not a heavenly language, but another dialect, another language of the people. And they went out into the streets and they began to speak and proclaim the gospel in these Tongues in these languages. Picture Jerusalem at that time, much like we would see New York City as a melting pot of people from all different countries and nations and cultures coming together and selling their goods and making business there. And now these people. Although they share a common language, they are now hearing the gospel message in their native tongue from these people from whom the Holy Spirit has descended upon them. And they thought they were shocked. They didn't understand what was happening. And the people began to think that they were drunk. And Peter steps out and he says, friends, we're not drunk Let me tell you what is happening. And he goes back and he says, don't you remember that God said. And he begins this preaching time of the people who were listening. And it says in verse, at the end of this section, it says that, and 3,000 people gave their hearts, believed in Christ at that time and were baptized. What do you do with 3,000 people? What do you do with 3,000 new people that have just come to Christ? 3,000 people that are, are baptized and shocked at what, what is taking place, amazed at God's power. And this is where Luke picks it up, and this is our transition part. This is what 3,000 people did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they, they gave to anyone as he had need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. Now understand that these people had are... are a month and a half out of Jesus' death and resurrection and now ascension into heaven. These people are just still trying to wrap their head around what does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does His sacrifice on the cross actually mean? And as they're growing in their faith and growing in their understanding, they're still attending temple worship with the whole assembly, with everybody that was in the town or the region that would gather with them. So there's still a large room environment where they are worshiping and as they wrap their mind around what God is telling them on how Christ's sacrifice impacted their life they're engaged in this kind of community that was happening outside of the temple worship so every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's what you do with 3,000 new people. 3,000 people that are looking to try to figure out what does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to, to now follow this Jesus you see the one thing if you, if you read between the lines you understand this they hadn't arrived yet in their faith they were still trying to figure it all out there wasn't an arrival point and when you get to this point then you can participate in church life as messy and messed up and complicated and confused and critical as they were the church accepted them and they became the church And they lived together and they worked together and they studied together and they prayed together. This is a snapshot of the early church. This is the, as Luke writes, the ideal for God's people. This is how the church is to function. This is who the church is to be. And here at at First Alliance, we believe in this. We believe that we need to, to... re-establish a sense of small group, life group community that's outside of this large gathering for weekly celebration and weekly inspiration and, and deep teaching and great worship and good challenge and prayer together. Outside of this, there is still a need for smaller group communities to be meeting together, to be devoted to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship the breaking of bread into prayer. And so that is why we've, we've refreshed and we've relaunched our life group ministry. And today you can sign up for a life group if you're interested in that. But we are committed to helping this church understand the need for this type of ministry. And if our church is to grow, if our church is to grow, we've got to make connection points for people to come in and feel a part of something and be able to grow in their faith. And as we grow, if we're going to be healthy, we need to have those moments where we stop sitting in rows and we start sitting in circles and we share life with each other, where we connect with one another and we study God's Word together. This was the, this was the normative function of the early church in Acts chapter 2 growing in their faith and being together with each other. It was the ideal. It was, was it perfect? No. The church wasn't perfect. Again, Luke's just giving us a snapshot of transition from one story to the next. It's not the perfect situation. Everybody didn't love each other perfectly. Everybody didn't serve each other to the best of their ability. But it was a process. And the picture of the process was this. They loved each other, they cared for each other, and they met together. And as they met together, they continued meeting with each other. Something happened among them. There was unity, and there was a togetherness that marked them, and other people saw it. Other people saw what God was doing in these, in these groups that gathered together. It was something that was evident in their lives. In their togetherness, they, they broke bread together. Now this carries two ideas uh, from, from Luke's writing. We know that it means that they, that they committed themselves to, to continually celebrating the Lord's Supper or communion. They didn't give that up. They continued in that practice. The other thing that we understand from, from Luke's snapshot here is that they broke bread in each other's homes and they fellowshiped with each other. They took time To just have dinner together. As people who had something in common, as people who were together, they took time and invited each other over to their homes and sat down and shared a meal together. And when they were done sharing their meal, they didn't just get up and go. In that culture, they would share a meal and after the meal they would recline And as they reclined, the idea was that they would share their day with each other, that they would share stories with each other, that they would teach each other, that they would challenge each other. And so the meal wasn't let's eat and run. The meal was an event. We got together around a table and shared a meal. And then we reclined and we said, hey, do you remember when Jesus did do you remember what it was like when Jesus said? Imagine that small group. We sit together and we say, we sit together and we say, remember what the Bible says about this small group got together and said, remember two months ago when Jesus was with us and we did? I would have loved to have been in that group. Remember when we took the fish and we broke it? and it didn't stop multiplying? Remember when Peter walked on water and he took a nosedive? Remember when we were selfish and he forgave us? That's their small group. And that's the stories they shared with each other. And they were teaching the other people who were coming into their groups. In in their togetherness, when they saw a need, they met it. They would they would sell their possessions and they would take the proceeds and they would give to people that had deep need. It was as they saw it. It wasn't all the time. It was as they saw it. So there wasn't any sense of, of communism in this group. It, it wasn't required of them. In fact, when we read in, in Acts chapter 4, the sin of Ananias and Sapphira wasn't that they didn't participate. It was that they lied about their giving. In their togetherness, they, they saw a need and they met it. In their togetherness, they worshipped, actively praising God and praying together. And in their togetherness, they were devoted to the teachings of the apostle, who Jesus was and what he did and what he said and remembering how he challenged them. This togetherness, this togetherness that they had comes from the the word koinonia and it has the idea of a deep connection and a deep trust that is centered here in the context it's it's centered on jesus and it's empowered by the holy spirit their fellowship their koinonia their togetherness was centered on christ Empowered by the Holy Spirit, they came together and they shared their lives with each other. And that's what we want to see happen here. We want to see a large group of people, close to a thousand people, worshiping on every weekend, coming together in smaller groups throughout the week to share life with each other, to connect with each other, to help make a big church feel small. To help people find family, to help people grow in their faith, to be challenged and to be pushed into, into more uh, uh, into a deeper relationship with God. This is what Koinonia community is about. This is what we invite people to. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, "As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another." That's what we're looking for. We're looking for people to connect and to grow and to share life and to understand what God wants of them and to push each other and to challenge each other. We invite those who are around us, we invite them into relationships. That's what this Koinonia community stresses. It's about relationships. It's about you and me doing life together, reclining at the table and and sharing our day. Sharing our life. Sharing our moments. We invite those who are critical and confused and curious about God into a relationship with Him as a church, don't we? I mean, we don't invite them to the building. We don't invite people to come to a lecture. We don't invite people to come to a seminar. We invite people to come into a relationship with God. When we invite them to the church, we're inviting them into a family. We're inviting them into a way to grow on their spiritual journey. We invite them to meet God in a personal way and to grow in faith. In fact, many of, us, many of us have said it, and we say it this way, I don't have a religion, I have a relationship. It's all about Christ, it's all about Him, it's all about how I interact with Him and what He did for me. It's relational, it's community, it's togetherness, it's koinonia. And we are called together to live in this way. We can invite our friends and other people who are curious and, and confused and critical. We can invite them to church on a Sunday and we should, we should come and, and see what God does. Taste and see that God is good and that He has good things for you and He's on your side and He loves you and wants a relationship with you, In fact, many of us have been challenged deeply in this corporate worship setting. Many of us have made life-changing decisions in a room such as this, with people surrounded, surrounding us like this is. But this isn't really the koinonia community that the New Testament talks about. You see, we, we sit in rows... Every single week, looking through people's shoulders and staring at the backs of people's heads, trying to stay awake with the guy who's speaking. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to... And many of us, if we were honest, many of us are a little disconnected by about this time in the service. We're thinking about dinner. We're thinking about lunch plans. We're thinking about activities. This isn't the togetherness that the New Testament church is talking about. This is good corporate worship and we need to keep doing this and keep inspiring each other and challenging each other. But when Luke writes about the New Testament church, it's not about people sitting in rows. It's about people sitting in circles, in smaller groups, connecting their lives to each other. Think of it this way. When you go to a football game, if you go to a, a game, there's a huge difference between going to a stadium to watch a game and sitting at home and watching a game. Completely different experience. My son is, is next year wants me to take him to a Steelers game for his birthday, and um, I, I need to prep him. We can go. It's going to be a different experience for a number of reasons, but it's going to be a different experience because it's not going to be this, this warm, intimate, let's get together with friends. You see, when you're at a stadium, you're sitting in rows, you're looking through people, and you don't really have the opportunity to share with each other. Hey, you remember when, you remember when Franco caught that ball? Wasn't that great? Where were you? Remember when Bettis almost fumbled it all away? You don't have that when you're at a stadium, when you're in corporate setting, it's hard to have that kind of connected relationship. But when you're at home, I don't know what you do, but often we invite people over. We make chili and garlic bread and we have pop and iced tea and we sit around the television. If I can, I try to find the Pittsburgh broadcast on the radio and sync it up. And we talk and we share and we share life. We watch the game, but we share life with each other. It's a completely different experience. And that's what I want you to sense. There's a difference between corporate worship where we all come together to be inspired and love each other. Then it's completely different from the small group experience where we share life together. Honestly, There are days, honestly, Sunday mornings, how many deep relationship moments and encounters can you have on a Sunday morning? Two? Three? Oftentimes we're walking in the hallways, waving at each other. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Saw you at the game the other night. Just like we were at the mall, right? You're walking around the mall and you see people from church. Hey, how you doing? Saw you the other day. Really? No difference. the small group, the life group, the community, the koinonia, the togetherness is about sharing our lives with each other. Groups are where life is is shared, where stories are told, where hearts are nurtured, challenges are accepted, and groups are where we remember the past and we dream about the future. It's where critics become curious and the curious become convinced. This is where we go to go deeper and to to press harder, and to grow closer to God. And we want to do this well. But we as a church have some tensions that we have to manage. And we need to be right up front about these tensions. First of all, the first tension we have to manage is that we're a big church. We just are. that's, That's the nature of it. Thank God that we've got so many people that want to connect and figure out life with God, but we're a big church and it makes it hard for people to try to, to find relationships. It makes it hard for people to connect. And so we as leaders, we have to find those ways to help people go from waving to each other in the hallway to connecting in circles. And that's our job. And if we're not careful, somebody can slip in and slip out and we would never even know that they were here. So we need to work on that. That's a tension that we have to manage. A second tension that we have to manage is that we're complex and that's not necessarily a bad thing. When you're a, when you're an organization this size, you have to have systems. You have to have structure. You have to have flow in the way you do things. But there are times, if we're not careful, there are times where our complexity can, can cause us to be complicated. And if we're not careful, we make it difficult for people to connect in groups. And so what we've done today is we've eliminated the technical difficulties of having you sign up for a life group. If you want to sign up for one of these life groups that we're talking about, they are open on the, on the back wall. There's, uh, there are a number of groups. You can see where they're located, what time they meet. And we've made it very simple. We've gone high tech this week. We've given you a pen and ask you to write on paper. I know it's a foreign concept to a lot of us, but I think we can get through it. See, we want to make it easy. We don't want to make the system so complex that it it negates people from even trying. That's one of our challenges. The third tension that we have to manage, and in all honesty, this is one that haunts me. We have to manage the tension of the fact that we are established. We as a people are established as a church. We have our friends. We have our family. We have our circles that we interact with. This church is over a hundred years old. There are many of you that have attended this church for a number, a number, a number of years. Not quite a hundred. But we're established. And this is one of the things, if, you're, if you if you've moved into the Erie area, you probably know this better than those of us who live here. But if those of us who live here, and I grew up here, so I count myself in that, those of us who have lived here, if we need to stop and think about this. Stop and think how established we are as a town, as a community. We already have a lot of family in town. We already have our high school buddies that we kind of connect with. And some of us have college buddies and work buddies. And, you know, some of us are just already established. And I don't, I don't need a new friend. In fact, I don't have time for a new friend. And if we're not careful, we will slip into a mentality that that walks right along that path that says I don't have time for new people. I've got my people. I don't have time for new people. I don't have time To try to figure out who new people are in our church, I'm I'm just going to assume that everybody's new and nobody knows me, and I'm just going to wave, and I'm never going to connect. But that's not the New Testament church. That's not the ecclesia. That's not the togetherness that Jesus desires for us. Have you ever been the new kid? Have you ever been the new kid in town? Have you ever been the new kid who who walked into the cafeteria with the lunch tray? He tried to find a seat and there was nobody to to sit with. There was nowhere to go. There was no room because it was already established. These people sit at this table. Those people sit at that table. These people are over here. And you take your tray and you sit in the corner all by yourself because you're the new kid. And you're and you're embarrassed, and you're angry, and you're frustrated. And sometimes the new kid is so angry and frustrated because he didn't want to come to the new school anyway, but he had to. And some of you have, have come to this town and this community, and you didn't want to, but your job made you come to this town, and you've transferred in. And you're looking for somewhere to connect and you're looking for somewhere to grow and you're looking for somewhere to to reach out. You're looking for someone. Would someone, please, just open up the seat and let me sit at their table. Will somebody, please, on the school bus, move across the row and let me sit down. Will somebody in our communities, please, knock on my door and say, Welcome, here's a box of cookies. Hope you're not allergic. Would somebody, please stop looking at their own navel long enough to realize there's a world around us that is desperate and dying and looking for connections. I got my own people. I got my, you know what, today I'd love to be able to do that, but family dinner can't do it. Can't connect. You know what? My small group, my small group, we've already got enough people. You know, I might be able to help you find a small group. But I've already got enough people in my group. I'm not really interested. We left our small group to start a new one. One of the reasons we did that is we need more circles. We need more circles. There, There aren't enough circles to fit the people that we've targeted to fit in small groups. Somebody's got to stand up and say, "You know what? I love my small group, but I'm going to break away and I'm going to start a new one." And here's what goes through our mind. Here's what I wonder if this goes through our mind. I wonder if we're so established in our in our mentality that that if we were to break away, it would be like a divorce. We're thinking, "That's like a divorce. I'm never going to see these people again. It's going to be bitter and people are going to be angry and I'm going to be embarrassed and it's going to be mad. They're not going to talk to me." It's not a divorce an opportunity to get the people around you to get the new kid signed up and connected to get the new people in our church growing and and finding rhythm and relationships with other people we talk about reaching across the street and reaching our neighborhood for Christ but we don't even want to open up the seat on our school bus to let them sit down this haunts me can we move beyond our establishment and open our hearts, and open our homes for the new kid. We're dying to connect. People are dying to grow. What do you tell the LECOM student who moves into town and faces the toughest professional education that he's going to face in his lifetime? Who's, Who's looking for a church to connect to? While he's away, hundreds, maybe thousands of miles away from him, what do you tell that Lee comes to him? Hey, yeah, good luck with that. I'll see what I can do. What do you tell the independent contractor hired by GE who moves out here on a one year contract and leaves his family in Colorado? Do we have a seat on the bus? Do we have a seat in the, in the cafeteria to let him come up and sit down with somebody for a year just to connect? We need more circles. We can't live life sitting in rows. We can't live life looking through the back of somebody else's head and just trying to stay awake. That's not how God designed the church, and that's not how God intends it. God has designed us for koinonia togetherness and connection. And if you've ever experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you today have said in your mind, you know, I've always wanted to try, but I've never really taken the jump. And some of you today are sitting here saying, you know what, I've been told I should lead a small group. And I've never really tried. But you know what, God and I are going to have a conversation about taking the jump. As we wrap things up, I want to leave you with three questions. First of all, How are you living in community? I mean, what are you doing to live in togetherness and connection, koinonia connection with other believers? If you don't have that, you're missing something that's vital to your development and your growth and your health as a believer in Christ. Second question is, are you connected? Are you connected to a group? I want to encourage you today to to stop back at the board and pick up a pen and sign up your name. And if all the rooms are, if all the, if all the space is filled, sign a note, drop it at the information desk, and they'll give it to me and we'll put you on a waiting list and we'll figure it out. If you're new to the church in the last year, Pastor Mark and Teresa Harris would love to invite you to their house um, to just connect with you. Just a one-time, how you doing, get to know you kind of a deal. Take your card out of your, your worship folder today, mark that. In a moment, we'll take our offering. Mark that, and then somebody will be in touch with you if you'd like to participate in that. And finally, how can you help others connect? Maybe you're a networker. Maybe you'll be able to find somebody else to connect them to. Or maybe some of you are supposed to be leaders. There's some qualifications because leading a group, is it's not a small task. It's its large. It's, it's, there's responsibility, and we're not going to sugarcoat it. There is. But we need more. We need more leaders. So if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Christ, He's Lord and Savior of your life, that's one qualifier. If you've been active in FAC for more than a year, that's the other qualifier. A third qualifier would be that somebody along the line has told you, you know what? You're a leader. You should be out there checking it out. And the final the final qualification is if you can provide two references for me, then you and I will start a conversation about you becoming a leader. We're not hooking you up for life. We're not promising you a position. We're just starting a conversation. Imagine First Alliance being a place where there are more people who want to lead than to join. Imagine 90% of the adult population involved in koinonia, togetherness. Imagine what that would do for us as an entire organization. Imagine the number of people coming to Christ being increased daily because of their experiences. We need more circles. We don't need more rows. Let's pray. Father, we want to pause this morning and just thank you for what you've done in our midst today. And would you keep speaking to our hearts about connecting and growing and finding family? Let us be helpers. Let us be people who have a spirit of inclusion. And let us be people who are desperately seeking you with all of our hearts. As we take our offering in this moment, would you use it to advance your kingdom in this town and around the world? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.